welcome to my art forum. It's time for post-orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your hosts, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Thank you so much for tuning in this afternoon, and welcome to the neighborhood, everybody. I'm Ainsley Sevier, and with me in the station today is Citizen DJ Dark Sevier. Greetings, citizens. We're all citizens. Fellow citizens. Of the planet. Greetings, humans. Beasties. Salutations, uh, earthlings. Any old folks that might be listening in. And other, yeah. Any old folks. Yeah. Dogs are learning to use public transportation now, so... I guess I'm speaking to everyone at this point. That's right. Uh, The feral dogs in Russia are using the public transportation system to expand their hunting grounds. Yes. Especially now that the public transportation system doesn't have very many people on it. Mm. Guys, we have learned so much stuff this week. Those of you who've tuned into Post-Orthodoxy this afternoon are potentially catching our live stream on Facebook.com slash Ainsley Helen. Or if you like the best quality video, you can go to Twitch.tv slash The Seviers, S-E-V-I-E-R-S. We do these shows to have conversations with people, and we really look forward to your participation this afternoon. Yeah, so we've doing some research the last few days about topics that I think are salient. Mm-hmm. I feel, I, rem- I remember you telling me this thing about when you were a stand-up comic in LA mm. and when you're in the comedy work and mm-hmm. you're like going out to shows every night, everything is funny. Everything is a potential joke. You're just going around your daily life collecting things you can make fun of into is that jokes. A joke? is, is that a joke? Could, could that could be that, in my comedy routine? Could that routine? be a joke? Yeah. And I feel like I'm sort of like that with um, current events and polarizing subjects. Anything Ooh. that anybody disagrees on, I'm like, we should talk about that on our show. Right. Right. So we're going to talk about... We you, have a you, whole host of Oh topics. my gosh. You've done so much work on cancel culture this week, and that's going to be our quote-unquote main subject. But I don't know what the main <laughs> subject is anymore. I did want to talk about cancel culture. Yeah. Because I we mentioned it last week, and I thought maybe we should go there. I also have... Um, I have some proposed subjects for next week's show, which we'll talk about later on in the show. We're also going to be covering uh, our usual SARS-CoV-2 update, as well as Mm. the Black Lives Matter movement update. Mm. Um, I've been having some interesting conversations with friends on, quote-unquote, both sides of the Mm. issues. Yes. Um, And and we have a lot of information to present to you guys. We also got a little schooled this week by our listeners, which we we really appreciate. We did. Well, schooled is the right word, right? When people are like, well, uh, (laughs) so some things that came up. Yeah, just like that. (laughs) Guys, you know, um, is uh, who is your audience? Who's, who's our audience? Why should people listen to this two-hour show of the why two of us they? talking other than that we are pretty funny? Why would they But why listen? would they listen to us talking for two hours? Um, and what are your sources? 
And so I've been meditating on those three questions, like who is your intended audience? Why would people tune into a show like this? And um, can you share more sources? And so I feel like we've actively been making sure that as we find something really educational and insightful for us, we just share it straight to our post-Orthodoxy Facebook page because we got really lax about doing that. Right. Um, uh, we set it up. We set up the post-Orthodoxy page in order to gather resources, facilitate dialogue before the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, we're not doing research for the show until... Saturday. Saturday. So it doesn't leave... Based on things that we've caught up on during the week. Right. So I'm trying to start talking about the subject for the next show earlier in the week. Mm -hmm. Put some conversation starters on the post-Orthodoxy page. So you know the sorts of things that we're researching, and it's not just us speaking with confidence. The last thing we want is for you to jump from somebody else speaking with confidence to just listening to us speak with confidence. We want you guys to learn how to find your own information. We're sharing sources and looking for sources. Mm Mm-hmm. So on the post-Orthodoxy page today, I posted one video concerning cancel culture. Mm -hmm. And then in the comments, I posted a couple of other videos concerning cancel culture. What is it? And I shared an, uh, not an article, I guess, but a a long Facebook post written Mm. by a couple of conservative Christian black sisters who are responding to people being mad at them for painting over a Black Lives Matter mural. And they're talking about their perspectives coming from a Christian background and a conservative black experience in the U.S. And so those are things that I ponder and research. One of my conservative Christian dear friends brought up how Morgan Freeman thinks that Black History Month is ridiculous. Mm. And so I went down the rabbit hole of looking up information about that. And we got a really great suggestion from a longtime viewer, Damon, who said, why don't you guys do a show every once in a while and this probably won't be our two-hour show but some more extra content during the week for people who can see the screen right because on the radio we've still got some listeners that we really care about who can't see things that we're showing on the screen sure and we care about you guys so but we would do uh, more of a live stream uh sometime during the week where we we say my friend says you know morgan freeman thinks black history month is ridiculous and then what do i do to go into the internet and educate myself about what happened what has been the response since then what was the context of what happened what was the context what yeah. are the different facts going around and just show you guys the click hole of research that we go through on various topics mm-hmm. so you can see what we're doing to prepare for these for the conversations show. that we have i also shared on the page a video it's an interview with a doctor named zach bush what kind of doctor is he? Um, well, I just looked him up. Funny you should ask. Zach Bush is a physician specializing in internal medicine, endocrinology, and hospice care. Endocrinology uh, is your hormones and your glands, like your lymph nodes and things, part of the immune system. Uh, it says that he's an internationally recognized educator and thought leader. Okay. Like so, a public intellectual. Yeah, like a public intellectual. Like Cornell West. Like Cornell West of medicine, I guess. So I don't know much about this guy, uh, but I did listen to an interview, hour-long interview, um, on a podcast called uh, "Live Healthy, Be Well." And hmm. yes, I listened to that today get behind for that. our coronavirus update, and I and I thought it was there was some interesting information there. So all that is the possibility of an ongoing dialogue on our post-orthodoxy page. If anybody would like to listen to that video and say, hey, that sounds like some good information. Or, no, I've actually heard about this guy and and I found out somewhere else that this is blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to have some ideas challenged. His ideas sound good to me. 
They sound they uh, sound sound, and they don't seem to be. It's a different way. I feel like in our current uh, incarnation as a society, our news is not. We we've talked about this before. The primary function of the news of the mainstream media news is not to inform us of what's going on. The main function is to make money. Right. That's the main function. That is a very easy perspective to understand and see the evidence of if you want to. So I feel like, uh, and part of the model of current model of news infotainment is um, we know psychologically that when people are scared, they buy more things. So the news Just like has, a squirrel gathering nuts when right. it smells snow on the air. The news has the news organizations have a vested interest in making sure that we're scared because that ups the sales. Yeah. You need to protect yourself, you need to be more like the Joneses, blah blah blah. So looking for other sources, uh, this seems to I, I don't, you know, I I know a lot of people who really like Rachel Maddow for her storytelling her and, her, and her her breakdown like break taking a complex subject and really doing background context weaving it into a historical perspective mm. to try to help people understand what's happening in real time today and, and a lot of people really appreciate that style because it is not just straight it is journalism but it's not straight news so um i'm not seeing a lot of that uh, on the mainstream news where they're actually talking about our immune system, how it works. What no is one's talking about virology it. <laughs> and what what are viruses and how do they how work? How do they actually what are they doing on the planet? Do they have a function? Is there is there a holistic way to approach this subject rather than a fear based way? And so this program that I posted on the post orthodoxy page is called uh, Zach Bush on uh, COVID nineteen glyphosate and and then something else because it ran off the page. <laughs> and um, since we're keeping in mind uh, the things that were brought to our attention by our listeners er, this week, uh, who is our audience and why would people listen to us? We are not here to give you the answers. Right. We are here to make asking the questions more accessible, more normalized, more intelligent, and I'm open sharing, some doors. Yeah. We're just opening some doors. You can go through them if you want to. I th think for myself, I'm sharing my process of trying to understand what the hell's going on. In the world? In the world. With yeah. all the things. With things that are I think a lot of us are trying to understand. And maybe our process can be helpful. I got a, maybe a different process than most. Yeah. That's another subject. So we have... Cancel culture. Cancel culture. Conservative blacks and black life movement. Uh, black lives matter movement. Right. Um, COVID-19. COVID-19. Update. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Oh, my this, goodness. Let's start with the COVID-19 thing because I think we have been starting with it at the show. So it might okay. just be good to open up because that seems to be the thing on everybody's mind. So we're not talking about case numbers. No, Although no, no, we no. can tell you scientifically and globally, numbers are going down. Uh, case numbers. And you could go find that out for yourself. Maybe going up, but the deaths are going down. Right. That's what I meant to say. Right. Yes. Scientifically and globally, the death rate is in decline, even though case numbers are going up. And that's naturally what happens virologically any time a virus sweeps around the globe. Right. So I have a... Um, and who's that guy that we like to follow? Michael Lovett? I'll Michael, share a link. Yeah, share a link to Michael Lovett. Michael Lovett is... Uh, he's the Nobel Laureate, right? Yes. He's um, a highly educated scientist working with... 
a bunch of other edu- highly educated scientists and statisticians talking about the history of viruses on the planet and how what how they behave statistically. Um, yeah, and so he shares a bunch of really brainy information, really like... Uh, I got to read this chart several times. This is right. not just some pretty blue dots telling me how much cases there are all over. Like this is a legit chart of what's going on. And he's talking about death rates, comorbidities, who's actually in danger, what viruses usually do on the planet and how does SARS-CoV-2 match up to that? Right. So I thought I would start this with an excerpt from the Live Healthy, Be Well uh, podcast an interview with Zach Bush, giving his breakdown Mm. of the role of the virus and in relation to what's going on with um, this current virus. This is the intro. I'm just going to read the intro to the episode before I play the little piece. You're going to read the intro? Yeah. um, In this episode, Jeffrey speaks, I guess that's the host, uh, Jeffrey speaks with Dr. Zach Bush, an internationally recognized educator and thought leader on the microbiome as it relates to health, disease, and food systems. Zach believes that COVID-19 has been demonized by the mechanisms of the CDC and the WHO, and that the ulterior motive of both these organizations seems to be the production of a multi-billion dollar vaccine. Mm. Many viruses of the past, like MERS and SARS, have disappeared naturally over the course of 12 months without the need for a vaccine. Uh, Zach, as always, speaks the truth uh, to the public health system. So this is a doctor who works in the public health system, I guess. Okay. And uh, he's a critic of it. So he explains, he spends eight minutes giving his breakdown, and then the host takes his breakdown and And distills it it into a minute. So this is not Zach Bush, but this is the host of the show doing a minute. Okay, summarizing what the scientist said. Right, and we will also make a link of this podcast into the comments of our Facebook um, uh, messenger or Facebook live comments. Stream. Yeah, mm-hmm. live stream. So, yeah, this and is And what's Zach the Bush. name of the video for people on the radio it's who called, might want to look uh, it up? Live Healthy, Be Well. And it's on Stitcher. Which is a video service online? Yes. Okay. It, it has episode, um, it just says episode. It doesn't give the number. But if you, I guess if you look up uh, Live Healthy, Be Well you'll, and Zach Bush, you'll find the most recent episode is from June 23rd. Sweet. So this is a minute summarizing what Bush is talking about. You ready for this? Ready. All right, let's, here, let me turn my volume on. You got your volume on? Got my volume on. Very good. Medically, medically and policy-wise. So let me see if I can summarize with, with an analogy here. Um, typically, when you have a computer program, you get updates. They used to t- call them patches sometimes. You need a patch so they can work with this. The little pieces that get that fix the system and what you're saying is that the virome or the the universe of viruses carries genetic information where when it comes in it provides information a sequence that acts like a patch or a computer software update and that in order to handle it properly there is a system which determines whether to accept that because it's needed or reject it and that the CDC WHO uh, concept is to not allow the body to gain that capacity on its own, but to pretend that it can be killed, uh, that a virus can be killed, and that that is that's the uh, and the viruses are now demonized. 
did that did I miss anything in that in that piece there? So that's the general breakdown of what this guy's talking about. Right. Um, he also talks a lot about uh, the virus and the function of the virus. Um, one of the facts that he rattled off in there is that we have, uh, I think I put it on the post, we have like 50% of our uh, DNA, 50% of, uh, what's the uh, genes, 50% of our genes uh, are, were the result of viruses in history. Right. So the Who viruses- we are as a species- as animals on the planet, as creatures involved in the ecosystem of the planet, is built not just by your literal mother and father and grandfather and grandmother, but also by all the other microbes and viruses that you have encountered and that your ancestors have encountered. Let me read a definition of the microbiome. The microbiome is the genetic material of all the microbes, bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and viruses, viruses are not microbes because they're not yeah, alive. Yeah, that's what he's, yeah, they're not, yeah. they're not the a part of the microbiome. are not alive. But bacteria, fungi, protozoa, and viruses that live on and inside the human body. You've got things living in you that are not you. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. The number of genes in all the microbes in one person's microbiome is 200 times the number of genes in the human genome. Mm. The microbiome of a single human may weigh as much as five pounds. So if you took all the bits of you out that are made of viruses, fungi, protozoa, and bacteria, mm. it would be five pounds of living material and viral data. That's integrated with our system. That is a part of the human. Right. Everybody's uh, got viruses. So their definition of the biome included virus. What this cat, Zach Bush, is saying is that we shouldn't be including viruses as a part of the biome because viruses are not alive. When I was doing my research last week on what's the difference between a germ, a virus, a bacteria, and a pathogen, mm. that's what I found out as well, is that viruses are not alive. Bacteria are alive. They're, they're like, when should you take antibiotics? Right. Not when you have a virus. Mm. Yes, when you have a bacteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So viruses are, are basically patches for the biome. They come in and they connect and they upload and they, they again, half of our, as they say, half of our, the human genome is composed of 50% of its volume by viral inputs. Yeah. Uh, so we have we a virus. We are humans and other animals and other living things on the planet are built, modified, and maintained and evolved by viruses as they spread around the planet. Right, so I'm going to make a, I'm just going to post on our comments, on our live stream, uh, the link to that one-hour podcast. All right. Because he covers a lot of ground in that podcast. Um, Part of it is that he says that he predicted that we would have a virus that would come out of the Wuhan province about four years ago. And he, his theory about... How did he predict it? His theory about what's going on, and this is the stuff that I find really fascinating, is that... Uh, the viruses are responses to the to the larger global biome, and that his he was concerned that the pig industry in China was going to be where we were going to get uh, the virus. Is that we pump pigs up with all kinds of um, antibiotics and all kinds of medicines, all their stool, all their runoff go into ponds. Pig poop. Right, which is where you have. Um, all these uh, pathogens and pig-related uh, biome mm. that is now battling 
what is attacking them, which is antibiotics. And so the cesspools from the slaughterhouses are giant ponds of pig poop of giant ponds of pig poop where these processes are taking place. And so there's a right. there's a battle of virus versus antivirus. So just to make it super like break it way down, because we don't want to assume that anybody knows anything, mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you have to make assumptions to have conversations. But right. since uh, we're learning and we are trying our best to be educational, uh, poop is not dead. Yeah. Poop is not dead. Mm. You have to heat it up to 140 some odd degrees to kill all the pathogens that might be living in there. Right. Right. And we associate pathogen with bad, 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 bad. But pathogens and m microbes right. are not sinful. They're not demons. Have, they have a right. function in the universe. And sometimes that function causes people to get sick. And sometimes it doesn't. That's part of our evolving conversation today. Poop is not dead. We're pumping the pigs full of antibiotics. And there's like a, what you're saying is there's like a tiny microbial war going on in these giant puddles, of, these giant well, ponds of pig poop in we know, China. We, we know the overuse of antibiotics can cause uh, whatever they're fighting with the antibiotics to become resistant. Yeah. Right. Those so, studies are, I've seen that right, a, right. a long time. Like, and the use of antibiotics causes like mutation and right. uh, evolution. So his, his story is that the larger biome of the planet is suffering from uh, glyphosate, among other things, which is used in Roundup. And that when you spray it, it kills everything. That's the idea. Glyphosate. Glyphosate. It's, okay. a, it's a Monsanto it's chemical. It's part of Roundup. That is used in Roundup. And the idea is that when you're killing in, in large-scale uh, agriculture and the meat industry, when you're using these wholesale killers to take care of pesky things like viruses and Stuff pathogens. Stuff that annoys and, us. Right. What you're doing is your nature will respond by creating viruses. Um, so because... Wait, wait, wait. Why? The, the viruses are, are the result of uh, these, this battle between the biome being attacked mm -hmm. and the living organisms on the biome. So bugs and pathogens and microbes are a natural part of the evolution of the planet. Right. But because humans and the things that we want to do, such as grow a ton of corn reliably Mono, every year. Monocropping without interference of every any Every year organism. the same amount of right. corn, no matter what the seasons or the bugs do. So we fight off the natural ebbs and flows of microbes and bugs and stuff. So if you spray for weeds, you may also be killing a part of your the, the biosphere in the soil. Yeah. So the idea is, uh, what, what I'm learning from this podcast that I was watching, is that he was saying that when you look at when China had everybody, uh, when the, the COVID cases went down, they went down, he said, you can track it in relation to the uh, particle uh, the, what is it called? PM2? PM2 PM is particle, particulate in the air. Pollution. PM2.5, right. Partic pollution particles in the air. So he, he's saying is that this particular virus, what they're finding out is that people who are most prone to this virus, diabetics and other people with pre-existing conditions that are taking certain kinds of medication, cause this virus to clump up in them and be a delivery mechanism from toxins in the atmosphere, namely uh, cyanide, cyanide which, so, is, which is coming out of our industrial, especially in China, coming what, out of industrial production. So what you're saying is the particulates in the air, no wait, mm -hmm. P2.5 
people on certain kinds of medications and with certain pre-existing conditions, the medications that they're taking are causing SARS-CoV-2 to clump up. And rather than just be a virus that passes in and out of you, it's now carrying pollutants into your system. It becomes a vehicle for pollutants. They're saying that a lot of the people that had to be intubated earlier when they were putting them on the respirators, right. they thought that was part of the virus. What he's saying is this is a result of the treatment of this virus, mm-hmm. um, which had particular effects on people with particular um, uh which is why we're seeing tons, pre-existing conditions. tons and said, of deaths. If you treated in, people okay. for cyanide poisoning okay. instead of trying to figure out how to uh, stop uh, the virus, but if you treated them for cyanide poisoning, we mm-hmm. would have had a much lower death rate at the high- hospital because what's happening is the effects are mirroring what are cyanide poisoning. And he seems to think that they're coming from um, that the, there's the highest concentrations of deaths were in the highest concentrations of pm 2.5 pollution highly polluted areas major right. cities places like italy places the that, place in italy is used... has the highest concentration of particulate matter in europe okay and that was the highest case of deaths. new york city has a lot of particulate matter so we're talking about correlation versus causation right which is a really 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 important thing to understand about statistics about what you think about your friends about you know why you like to wash your hands all the time you know like correlation versus causation is a part of all of life and all of critical thinking. We have been uh, assuming because of some of the information given to us and knowledge that we already had as in mass as a society that uh, people were having lung problems um, when they were infected with SARS-CoV-2 because of SARS-CoV-2. Right. That's a correlation. They were infected with SARS-CoV-2 and they also had lung problems. So correlation, mm, SARS-CoV-2 caused the lung problems. But causation is actually figuring out what actually is causing the lung problems. And what this doctor is saying is that the people with the comorbidities that are causing, if we look at all the people who are getting really sick and the prescription drugs, and the prescription that drugs to treat the comorbidities. is causing the virus to clump up in a way that is not clumping up around everybody else. Right. And the, 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 the actual causation of lung problems in people who've been affected with SARS-CoV-2 is that that particular infection in that particular person, because of the area of the planet that they live on that is polluted, enabled the virus to bring pollutants into their body into in a high enough level to cause them to have lung problems. That's causation versus correlation. And he was saying that early on when China shut down back in December, There were, I remember seeing this, there was this amazing video of the PM 2.5 meter looking at China and watching it disappear, watching the particulate matter disappear from their atmosphere because production had stopped. When everybody shut down for the lockdown in China, pollution disappeared. So people said, well, they locked down and so therefore the people... We're not running around and getting the virus. Correlation. That's a correlation. What he's saying is that actually, not just in China, but in all these areas where the hotspots were, tend to have high PM2 readings. So he's saying... The places on the planet that lots of people died were highly polluted. Part of the reduction in deaths and cases was because the production of PM2 in the atmosphere had dramatically, visibly, when you looked at it, dropped. And so deaths dropped. Okay. Because this virus has a tendency to fast-track toxins 
from the air and the environment into your system. So I thought that was some interesting information I haven't seen anywhere else yet. So for perspective, because one of the things that we do as a critical thinking practice and to always try to be checking our own reality tunnels is, um, so what about the people in Montana who have gotten sick? Right. We, I think last I checked, we have 14 coronavirus cases in Butte. Mm-hmm. noted cases, as in we know that they are infected with coronavirus. Now, we don't know if those people are in the hospital struggling to breathe or if they're just being quarantined at home because they happened because they happened to get infected um, and got a test. And, you know, like some people can be in cases might be asymptomatic cases, right? right. Or hospitalized cases. Right. So uh, in Butte, we have a we have not very much air pollution. We're not a major city. Right. Right. Um, We're not surrounded by um, all the dust in the air from farm production either. So so this is where we look at not total number of cases, which is 14, but we look at percentage of population because Mm -hmm. uh, we need to see what percent of Butte's population is suffering compared to what percent of New York City's population is suffering. And from what we can see statistically, New York City's population, a higher percentage of the people that live in New York City are suffering or died than the percentage of people in Butte who have suffered or died of SARS-CoV-2. So they would attribute, so that's another thing that is mentioned in a lot of the sources that I've been looking at is that this virus is shaking out to be one of the top 10 flu season death years. So it's, it's up there as far as death, but as a flu as a flu season thing, not as a pandemic that's going to destroy us all. Mm. So this is higher than normal deaths because of the flu is another way to look at this. Right, because SARS-CoV-2 is a coronavirus and yes. the common cold is also caused by coronavirus. Pneumonia. These, yeah, the, so all- like there are several illnesses caused by coronaviruses. Right. We just happen to have put a scary name on specifically SARS-CoV-2. Right. Yeah. So uh, the it's it, you can find the research and find out how many people actually died um, from what would be normal pneumonia, the normal flu season pneumonia. The CDC kind of website thing. breaks yeah. those numbers down for you. Uh, a lot of people are throwing those numbers into the total death toll, which makes it look like oh my god, one hundred and fifty thousand people. Mm-hmm. That's a little higher than the average flu death in a season. So. To explain what's going on in Butte, um, it's uh, the narrative is that we have a scary virus that's going to kill us all if we don't wear masks. But what seems to be shaking out is a stronger than average flu season. Mm-hmm. And that the thing to, um, the best thing for you is a healthy environment and healthy food. That reduces your chances. Those are the two things that are going to reduce your chances of having negative effects from the virus which from a holistic perspective is a patch that's here to upgrade your DNA. A computer upgrade. Yeah, of sorts. A DNA upgrade. So yes, some people are going to get sick, some people are going to die. He also talked, uh, This Zach Bushcat was also talking about the flu season and his breakdown of why we have a flu season. And the flu season is from November to through May. In this hemisphere. In this hemisphere. And the, the reason that happens is when plants go into dormancy in the frozen north, it, um, uh, a PM2 goes up, 
Because the, all the oxygen cleansers aren't there anymore. The respiratory system is shutting down for the winter. And so people are getting sick because he's saying the virus is here year round. Why right. do people get sick in these months is because the atmosphere is more toxic in those months well, because well, we don't have a biome, the trees, the grass, the plants that are that are working as our lung cleaners, our air cleaners okay. are not working. So let me let me rephrase that just for my own clarity uh, and for the clarity of our listeners. So what you're saying is there's always the same amount of viruses on the planet. Hanging out. There's always flu flu virus. Well, I, no, there's well the, the viruses are around and right. they spike. They spike. Infections spike. Infections spike, correct. Humans interaction and a, awareness of the virus spikes. Mm. And it humans we have flu season, quote unquote, not because there is suddenly way more coronaviruses Virus. and rhinoviruses in the atmosphere, but because the coronaviruses and rhinoviruses enable pollution to get into our body. Uh, there, there's less, there's uh, the biome with all these little organizing, uh, all these organisms and plants that are mm -hmm. going to sleep for the winter are no longer serving their function. So there's a compromised atmosphere right because of that so the trees and the dirt and all the filtration mechanisms on the planet aren't filtering as much as they normally are so pollution globally goes up which is right. I mean, pollution is inflammatory pollution PMT, is inflammatory we know that it turns like pmt is coincides mm -hmm. with our flu cases and flu seasons mm -hmm. so for us it goes down between june and the beginning of november our cases generally go down, and that's also that's hemisphere. also when the PM two mm -hmm. is at the lowest in our yearly cycle. Right, because all the of trees all the bloom, going. and then they start doing grasses, and then the farming starts, and the dirt getting you know like the air is getting filtered more during the growing seasons of whatever your area is, and so your flu season is stronger when the air isn't being filtered as much. So you're dealing with more inflammation than usual because of the pollution, and therefore it's easier for viruses to multiply in your immune system, in your body, because your immune system is already dealing with pollution inflammation. It's also about our immune systems. If we're not getting as much exercise, if we're not getting out as much, if uh, all the fresh foods we are eating out of our gardens in the summer aren't there anymore, we are, our immune system is prone to infection. Well, yes, in those in those in, cases. In those yeah. cases. Well, any It's also shown that the United States is we uh, part of our uh, our cases, our death rate in the United States has to do with our our life expectancy. Our life expectancy is falling in the U.S. In the U.S. and um, our health is not something to be proud of, generally speaking. I think the it's U.S. Like, the general health of U.S. citizens is pretty bad compared to the globe. Four percent, I think, is what I saw. Of people are considered obese in the u.s right yeah so we're gonna have more problems mm -hmm. with anything that has to do with the immune system when over a third of us mm -hmm. and that's not um that's not a fat shaming comment that's no. just an information about data which is that people who are carrying around a lot more on their structure have a strained system so the point of the show post-orthodoxy is to deal with orthodoxies when things become unorthodox then you can't question them anymore and you just have to do the thing we just don't talk about that no you just do the thing or or you're a bad person if you don't do the thing whatever, we, the, yeah. whatever the thing is we already know what the rule is whether it's religion or sex or mm -hmm. politics whatever you just do the thing and be on the team otherwise you're on the other team right so that's that's what's complicating this issue is we're still treating the virus in a from what I perceive as a Judeo-Christian model and that it's a demon out there that's going to get you if you if you have bad behavior. Mm. 
And the bad behavior isn't, they're not talking about your immune system. They're talking about whether you're wearing a mask or not and all that business. But it seems like the more relevant information that we're not talking about is our immune system and how viruses work. How do we interact with viruses? We're not at, we shouldn't be at odds with viruses because that's half of us. And that's our, uh, our current perspective here on post-orthodoxy based on the research that we've been doing this right. week, specifically this video that you were talking about. Can you give us the names of the people that we, oh. of this massively long video that we watched this interview? I'm going to try to find it. So Zach Bush is the cat that was being interviewed. Uh, Jeffrey, I'm going to try to find, um, he has not promoted his, his page well enough for me to, ha- to know who he is. Mm. Show info. Live Healthy, Be Well. That's the name of the show. Uh, so people could look up Live Healthy, Be Well. Uh, best-selling author and filmmaker Jeffrey Smith is the host. So you can find that and on And he Stitcher. was interviewing a, a doctor. Yeah, Dr. Zach Bush. Right. So uh, we made that video available on our post-Orthodoxy Facebook page. I would love to hear any feedback from folks if they have pro or con feedback on the information in that video. I also linked it in the comments on the Facebook live stream. You know, it's interesting what you said about teams. I think that segues nicely into some of the other things that we want to talk about today with cancel culture and um, conservative black Americans. Mm which is uh, this this idea that we should be on teams as humans and that in fact we are on teams and that if you're not on a team you're not allowed to like you have to pick a side you have to pick a side i think our and tribal you, nature gets exploited yeah and if you yeah. don't pick a side you must not care um and and the idea that if you are on a team that you completely match with that team's ideologies and so we also confront a bunch of identity crises when we're battling someone on the other team and then they say something that we actually agree with. And we're like, wait, we're on separate teams. I'm mm-hmm. not supposed to agree with anything you say because you're on the wrong team. Well, it turns when out- When in fact, right. like all of human identities and thought bubbles and perspectives are constantly intersecting like Venn diagrams, circles that intersect each other a little bit and there's carryover and crossover. That's what's making us so dumb right now <laughs> is that- uh, Donald Trump mm. said hydrochloroquine was useful. And so everybody immediately panned him and said, that's idiotic. And everybody then, on the other team. On the other team. And then all his fans went out and bought it all out of the, you know, basically cleared the shelves of it. It turns out that it does have some use in treating some of the symptoms of COVID-19. At the correct stage of illness. It has an application mm-hmm. and it's useful. But to even have that conversation almost puts you, because Trump said yes, it's almost like the people who are opposing Trump have to say no now. Like I, I the, you know, the, the clock is right. A broken clock is always, is at least right twice a day. Sometimes Trump says things that is accurate. It doesn't mean because he said them, mm-hmm. they're accurate. He says, you know, the odds of good things, of, of positive, verifiable Reliable things coming out of his mouth, in my opinion, is low. Well, identity politics doesn't just have to do with if you attack what I believe, you're attacking my identity. It also has to do with if you believe this, you are a certain kind of person. You're in another tribe. I'm putting identities on you because of the things that you believe rather than just listening to what you say. And you can substitute Trump for any person Mm -hmm, you disagree mm -hmm. with. So and so that I don't like said this thing. Therefore, that thing must be dumb. So to, to wrap up this coronavirus update, it seems that 
you can understand about what's being discovered with this virus. There are things being discovered every day. There's new information. That's how the scientific process works. The, the data is accumulating. And from that, things are being extrapolated. Understanding is happening. Mm-hmm. And you can know that. You could You, you could, could know. know that maybe some of the premises that have been going on for months mm-hmm. are no longer relevant because there's new information. You could look up the difference between an infection and an illness. You could look up the difference between a virus and a bacteria. You could research things that suppress the immune system versus boost the immune system. And you could understand how inflammation works in the human system. So to go back to the original point, which is you can know what's going on or you can just be afraid of this virus. And I feel like if you're looking through commercial channels Mm. who are vested in having a frightened audience because it sells more things. They're not going to tell you things that help you feel better about what's going on. I don't, they they haven't been so much. I I wouldn't think they're going to. It's not in the business model. Right. So anyway, there's information out there. And if you have information that we don't have... Uh, some data, right? Some sources. Uh, please um, feel free to post them in the sidebar here on the live stream on Facebook or the Post Orthodoxy Facebook page. Please make a post, make a comment, clue us in because mm-hmm. we're on the hunt for good information. And you can always find an email on butteamericaradio.org where you can send questions, comments, or frustrations about the show. We love fan mail, whether you like us or not. That's not always. That's not all fan mail then. Well, isn't it all fan mail? Because you have to like somebody a certain amount to get to want to get mad at them. Listener feedback. Listener feedback. All right. <laughs> so we have other topics we can move on, I guess. Yeah. Um, we were talking about, I think, I think the team mentality thing feeds very nicely into the cancel culture thing. Okay. So cancel culture? Yeah. It's all connected. That's the tagline of our show today. It's all connected. <sighs> Cancel culture is what happens when you have to prescribe to all the things your team says or else we're not going to talk to you anymore because if you say the wrong information, we're not going to listen to you. And that feeds very interestingly into a little tidbit from this video you were watching, which is talking about how hate speech is not excluded from freedom of speech by the U.S. Constitution, specifically because... Anybody can say anything that they don't like is hate speech. Yes. If you disagree with me. We have to be able to say things that that other people don't like. Otherwise, we're all just going to get stupider and stupider. Yeah. Freedom of speech is still something that it's it's at the core. The idea of freedom of speech is at the core of this cancel culture. That doesn't mean that you need to allow people to say hateful things to you without saying something. And that doesn't mean that uh, privately owned businesses or et cetera, et cetera, can't tell someone to leave because they were being hateful. But it also protects people from just getting blackballed out of something because they said something that a certain organization doesn't like. So Miriam Webster weighs in. Is that... That's a dictionary. Oh. <laughs> Merriam-Webster defines the act of canceling, also referred to as cancel culture, as the removal of support for public figures in response to their objectionable behavior or opinions. This can include boycotts or refusal to promote their work. This is another Twitter addition to our vocabulary. Uh, the term has been credited to black users of Twitter where it has been used as a hashtag. As troubling information comes to light regarding celebrities who were once people, or popular, (laughs) and that's what it is. They've been canceled as people, really. 
once popular, such as Bill Cosby, Michael Jackson, Roseanne Barr, Louis C.K., um, so come J.K. Rowling to cancel such figures. Right. So that's cancel culture in a in like a, canceling a subscription. Right. That makes sense to me. Right. As a as a thing to do socially, mm-hmm. I think we humans have been doing that long before it was the term was coined. Right. We just happen to have language to describe it very succinctly now. Cancel culture. You've been canceled. We're canceling J.K. Rowling. I specifically am not canceling J.K. Rowling. I'm just saying that's. I'm also not not canceling J.K. Rowling. <laughs> okay. Right. There aren't only two teams in the world, guys. Um, so I have a couple of videos here that I found. Okay. And we can play an excerpt of, a, of one of them to start the dialogue. Uh, this is a little short film by a guy named James Damore. <laughs> uh, sounds like he's Australian, right? Or okay. is he New Zealand? And it's a little 12-minute video uh, where he is on site at campus at the, in Portland... There's an interview with a guy who was fired from Google because Google was saying that we have more men than women working at Google, and we need to rectify that. We need to equal our gender we employment. Need to, equity is very important. Yeah. And he said, we need feedback from people Please to send tell in your us feedback. how to do that. Yeah. And this guy who worked at Google said, well, Here's from, what my I, feedback. from what I understand, men and women are different, and um, biologically physiologically um there's there's various differences and that women are inclined to do some things that men aren't and men are inclined to do some things that women aren't and they seek different things in a in a work environment if you want it's 50 50 men and women in the world but if it's like 80 20 at google maybe we need to change our environment the the, the working environment of google yes okay to make it more appealing to women to want to work there yeah um, and he was immediately, he was fired uh, immediately. For saying that men and women are different? B- by phone. For saying, yeah, that there are some differences. This is a part of the cancel culture. So I did a lot of research on Evergreen University, and I don't even know if we're going to be able to get into that. I'd like to talk about it a little bit. But it's, cancel culture is is really kind of a Lord of the Flies mob mentality. Yeah. Where... People whose voices have not had a platform or have not been heard. It's a modern term for a witch hunt. Get amplified. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's almost like the social justice warriors or well-meaning people take up the fight without really knowing the fight. Right. And they just want to support a team people or a tribe. People want to support right. something that seems meaningful just jump on board. So let me just play this, this little piece from this video. You got me turned up there? Let's see what comes out here. The thing that strikes me about speaking to you is that there are rules to this game that we're finding ourselves in. Yeah, I mean, the, the term usually used to describe postmodernism is a cultural logic. It is a new cultural logic which goes against the modern ideas that we had before. It's, um, it is unrepentantly irrational. It doesn't make a pretense to be reasoned and it doesn't make any pretense to be evidence-based. It can look like inconsistency, it can just look like hypocrisy, um, irrationalism, it can look hateful. And you really need to understand that this is the inevitable consequence of seeing 
society as constructed in language into hierarchical systems of power. Here, you can get your black. So there's that. What do you get out of that soundbite? What are you getting out of that soundbite? Well, the part about cancel culture being unreasonable. It's necessarily unreasonable because it is mob rule. All or nothing. All or nothing. Either you're against J.K. Rowling or you're for J.K. Rowling. Um, the tribal aspect of it is very powerful. And it goes... Meaning people like to feel like they're part of something. People like to feel like they're part of something. And it's also like what happened at Evergreen College is there was um, student rebellion... Uh, basically saying we want this to be the most equity school and we're tired of being treated terribly. <laughs> and the science department, some geeks in the science department, basically said, well, um, what, what, what was the... What are what, we going to do? What are the offenses? Yeah. So if you say that systemic racism right. is happening, what are the offenses? This school is racist. How and how do we change it? Yeah. How? What are the offenses? What, mm -hmm. are, what are the specific instances? And that was enough to get that guy canceled. Brett, because he Brett should Weinstein. have just said, you're right. This school is racist. Grr. So they, they were making some moves for more equity, but it became unreasonable when they said, you asking that question is a part of the racism. Wow. We shouldn't have to tell you about the experience. Okay. It just now, needs to be rectified. That's that's a good point. I think it is important for white allies who right. are interested in knowing what's going on in the country mm -hmm. to not put further burden on um, minorities who are experiencing structural racism yes. to also do the educating. I right. think that's a really good point. I think right. if you say you want to be an ally and you want to know what really happened in this country over the last 200 years, go do the research yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't just sidle up to a black friend and say, oh my gosh, I want to support. Tell me what happened. Right. Tell me, teach me how to be a good non-racist person. There are books written by black people with PhDs that you can read about how to be anti-racist. Mm -hmm. Educate yourself. So what happened is that this cancel culture, the unreasonableness of the cancel culture came up against the scientific method. These people who are scientists like, well, let's solve it with science. Let's yeah. look at some data. And they're like, no. If there's a problem, let's figure out what the problem is yeah. and solve the problem. And so a sort of very scientifically minded person came up with what is a very emotional force of course so the idea that this is the part that is really frustrating for me is when something when some structural change needs to be addressed and there's movement towards that change mm -hmm. there are supporters who get involved who end up derailing the work that needs to be done one thing that i saw when i went to standing rock is that a number of people came out to support and make it an environmental movement to save the river. And the people who started it, the Sioux, were like, this is not an environmental issue as far as you know. This is a prayer camp. We don't see ourselves as separate from the environment. We're not talking about the environment. We are the environment. And you're coming from a different perspective that is undermining our way of life. So well-meaning social justice warriors went to Standing Rock to fight for the environment, and they were told by the locals, you don't know what you're talking about. 
because you're bifurcated between white humans people growing up in, and the environment. Okay. And we are not separated well, from that's, the environment. I mean, that's that's just it's just permeates our culture. This Judeo-Christian right. biblical concept that uh, God made the whole planet, and then He made humans afterwards because He was still lonely, even though He made the whole planet, and He gave the planet to the humans. And the humans are special. They're made in the image of God. They're not animals. They arrived on the scene as is the way that we are expressed today. Yes, yeah, Homo people, sapiens. It, Right. Even oh. if you're not Christian, you're still using the language of Influenced that paradigm. Influenced by this idea yeah. that humans are a separate, separate. part of the planet instead of um, ju- we're just another species on the ecosystem, baby. Right. So that's part of the problem with the cancel culture is once um, cancel culture is a Twitter creation, so is Black Lives Matter. The term. The term. Yeah. So was the Capitol Hill. Ch- Chaz. Uh, <laughs> Autonomous, Autonomous zone. Yeah. That was a, it just sparked on Twitter and then it became the thing and it may not have been the best name for the thing. Right. Um, and it led to a lot of, you know, people talking about the name more than actually talking about the issue mm-hmm. behind what inspired the name. So this is part of the problem of the cancel culture issue. And it can happen to you. <laughs> right. I've been canceled before. Yeah. In a group of folks and the whole point is you don't get to have your day in court that's an, an an integral part of cancel culture is once you've been canceled it doesn't matter what you say because we already know that you did something wrong and what you did was so traumatic we even can't even you, talk about even it even if you don't know no we know you did something wrong no the, that's where we have to use words mm. because people hear that something happened and then they cancel right because they want to support whatever the movement is mm-hmm. me too movement black lives matter Standing Rock. So there's that moment. And I, um, I'm going to make a... I posted this on our post-Orthodox page, but I'm going to post a link to this video in the comments on our Facebook page because the whole 12-minute piece is worth watching. And what's the name of that piece for our audio uh, James, radio listeners? Yeah, James Damore and Helen Pluckrose <laughs> in, and The Second Culture. The he's, second culture. He's calling the second culture. So you culture. can look that up on YouTube if you'd like to watch the whole video. Right. It's, it's an, really awesome because they all have great accents the whole time. Right. It's another perspective on what's going on with cancel culture. I wonder if anybody on the globe likes U.S. accents. Mm. You know, we have so many accents in the U.S. Right. And, and there are a ton of accents in Great Britain and a ton of accents in Spain. Like, I just wonder if anybody watching U.S. television ever thinks, oh, my gosh, I just love all these accents. I know that Mokai really liked the Kentucky accent because he was it, amused by it. He was definitely amused by it. <laughs> um, that was one video that I pulled out to look at this um, cancel culture topic. There was another uh, interview with Steven Pinker, who's uh, one of our intellectual genius. Uh, he's a Canadian psychologist. He's Steven one of those guys Pinker. with a super high IQ. Super high I, uh, IQ guy. Uh, he, with J.K. Rowling and Salman Rushdie and a bunch of other notables, Margaret Atwood, uh, Pinker, uh, they wrote an article that was in, I'm trying to figure out where the, uh, Harper's Magazine, basically saying that cancel culture had gone too far. Okay. J.K. Rowling being one of the people who have uh, been canceled. He's saying she shouldn't have been canceled? No, he's saying that the problem with cancel culture is that it's not reasonable and that we can't really address grievances and deal with things because of the unreasonableness of having to cancel someone. 
So I'm going to uh, share. Of not having your day in court, of not having, of like being right. able to just dock somebody because you heard something. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance. Uh, Out of context. How many, how many people who have canceled Louis C.K. actually know, like, the whole story of what happened to Louis C.K.? With what, what, what did he do? Do you know what he did? Do you know the context of what he did? Do you know who he did it to and what was said before, during, and after? Um, and uh, will we ever truly know anything other than the firsthand accounts of the people involved? But for many people, Louis C.K. is just over. They're never going to look at it again. We have a very fast-paced, short attention span society. Mm. We canceled Louis C.K. I like my friends to know that I care about the Me Too movement, and so I'll just not like him. Or like him closeted. You'll just... Right. Just not say that I like him. Watch him at home and not say, not share. Oh, I've experienced, uh, on top of us being canceled by a friends group of ours here in town, I have also experienced cancel culture in that I never tell anybody when I eat (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Because you're not supposed to eat Chick-fil-A because they continually donate money to anti-LGBTQ plus groups. Groups specifically trying to create laws and social structures that prevent LGBTQ people from marrying, having health care, taking care of their spouses, adopting children, things like that. And Chick-fil-A keeps (laughs) donating to those people, even though they've said they're not going to donate to those people. And so you're not, we've canceled, quote unquote, we have canceled Chick-fil-A. If you're woke at all, you don't ever eat Chick-fil-A and you kind of tell everybody you don't eat Chick-fil-A. So how do you justify eating at Chick-fil-A? I don't think boycotts work anymore. Hmm. I have to say that their their adaptation to the virus and their drive-through process is, is sort of like German engineering. Every time I go through a Chick-fil-A drive-through, I'm in awe of their system. Yeah, it's an amazing system. And their system. customer service. However, I am also mad at them mad at them like my anger at chick-fil-a makes a difference (laughs) on the planet like this is the thing right we might cause j we might actually as a society cause jk rowling's book sales to fall Mm. we might actually do that i do not have confidence that civilians that uh, a certain group in america in the u.s not going to chick-fil-a to eat is going to make any difference in chick-fil-a's power on the planet with how massive they are and the support that they have from our enormous conservative christian and religious groups in the u.s so i'm going to share this article from harper's magazine a letter on justice and open debate okay so people know what you were talking about right uh folks if you're really curious like where are they getting all this information? Right. You you can too. That we did a great we a great show. we did a great show. All the best words. We did a show and some people liked it about how to find reliable information. Hmm. A few months ago where we talked about It's pl- not not always easy. It's not easy. It's like like hours of videos and long articles with words that you have to look up the definitions about and then going and finding the counter arguments to those videos and articles so that you aren't just going along with something that fits your confirmation bias. You can be educated continually by the internet. You can be active in causing yourself to know a lot about a particular subject. There's a trend going around where people are saying, oh, everyone's an expert now because of the internet. Oh, you learned that off the internet? Oh, I, you need to go do your own research. And I don't just mean Google. And I'm like, you, you know search engines are how people find stuff. Right. 
I guess you can use DuckDuckGo.com if you'd like to. Or Well, where are they getting information if they're not getting it off the internet? Are they getting it off their Facebook feed? I guess books. I mean, I guess, yeah, where are you getting information if you're not learning on the internet? MSNBC <laughs> and Fox News. TVs. CNN. Pastors. Books. You could be reading books for all I know, I guess. You could be going to... Well, I don't know how you're going to find updated COVID information in a book. You yeah. can find a book and learn about virology right. and understand the function of a virus in the human biome. You could find a book about um, pollution. You could find a book about the immune system. Yeah. And then you could put them all together in your mind. Well, I like Googling people who've done that work. Yeah. And then Other people can, have done the work. <laughs> and then show me their work. That doesn't mean that you are a less of a human because you didn't get a PhD in virology. People, That's not the problem. The problem is people just want one size fits all information. Sorry. This is what happened with taking a medical issue like the mask and turning it into a political issue. The mask has an application. It has a place. But when it mm -hmm. became yes mask, no mask, mm -hmm. uh, it just became a polarizing issue and did uh, more harm to our knowledge of what is appropriate. Our human's ability to think clearly. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. And it just yes or no. No, it's, it's not that easy. Sorry. Medical sorry. isn't that easy. Viruses aren't that easy. Yeah. You have to understand how things work. And just saying yes and no only gets you so far. But the good news is it doesn't have to be hopeless. It okay. doesn't have to feel hopeless. You can choose to dedicate time to benefiting from the research other people have already done. It doesn't make you a bad person if somebody else did most of the work. It doesn't make you a bad person if somebody else did most of the work. You can go and find YouTube videos and podcasts and articles and scholarly journals all over the internet where people have already done the work and coagulated it down into a, an edible piece of information that you can fit in over coffee in the morning or on your toilet breaks. Because we all know you're taking your phone into the bathroom. So I did, I think I came across Zach Bush because I'm interested in other theories of medicine beyond germ theory. Uh, and we've talked a lot about bioterrain theory mm -hmm. as another model, another lens with which to look at our situation and understand things. Um, and I think through going down that rabbit hole is how I ended up finding this guy who actually talks about the system, the biological systems. Of the whole human and the whole planet. Right. And uh, things make more sense to me because that's the, that's the model that I'm using is that we're we're a part of the environment. We're not separate from the environment. And so if something is happening to us, it's reflective of what's going on in the environment. And, and I'm going back to the COVID thing. We need to go, f I'm going to, we'll save that for next week. Let's go mm. further. Further down the rabbit hole. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. For more information about Dark and Ainsley, and on our social media linkage, visit bintati.me online. That's bintati.me. Post-orthodoxy. Post-orthodoxy. An outpost in the borderlands. What's outside your reality bubble? Now, back to our show. We haven't played that one on here yet. No. <laughs> that was really cute. Thanks to everybody that helped us make our intro, outros, and midros. Right. I'm sure it will evolve over time. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a nice thing to say. I could say yes, that. Yes. It evolve that. over time. Yeah. <laughs> like a virus. <laughs> all of all of them do evolve.
All right. So uh, topics for the second hour. Uh, we can make a brief. A dr- Say it. Sudden. Sudden. All right. Left turn into Black Lives Matter. Or is it so sudden? Because actually, really, it's all connected. Uh, you have to be on a side. You have to be on a side with the mask or no mask thing. You have to be on a side with the Me Too movement. You have to be on a side with abortion. You have to be on a side with the Black Lives Matter movement. It's a lot of sides. And it's a lot of sides. And there's this idea that, especially in the U.S., that there are only two and one side has all the right answers and all the right beliefs. And the other side has all the wrong answers and all the wrong beliefs. Right. So wrong. Wrong. Yeah. Wrong. Unhealthy, unkind. And if you ever do something kind, I'm going to be confused because I thought you were one of the bad guys. And you can't be a bad guy and do something I like. Right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, let's talk about what's going on in Portland right now. We have, I wanted to talk about the timeline. I wanted, because I grew up, I spent the first 27 years of my life as an evangelical, which 25% of the country is evangelical Christian right now. Over 75% of the U.S. still identifies as some kind of Christian. Right. And there are several other super conservative religious groups, branches of Catholicism, Mormonism, um, people in the Amish or uh, Pentecostal mindsets that also have many of the same beliefs as evangelical Christians. So just, it's not really just one in four people in the U S that believe these things. It's, it's more than that. And people who believe it or people who just, um, subscribe to it by default. Right. Right. I guess I'll just say Christian. Right. Um, so, uh, just in case my Facebook timeline seeing as I got onto Facebook while I was still only socializing with people in evangelical circles, that reality bubble. Right. How did you so, do that on social media where all the world is available to you? How did you live in a bubble online? The world is not online? available to you on Facebook. This oh, is really? one of the problems with Facebook is that you only see information on Facebook being shared by people that you are friends with. You, It's not very accessible on Facebook to go find information being shared by someone who is not already in your group. Twitter is great because you can search for topics and you can find information that's being spread around on the internet by people all over the world of various different bubbles and perspectives. But so when I joined Facebook in 2009, I had all evangelical or some kind of Christian friends. And so we were all confirming each other's perspectives on the world. We were sharing articles on how to stay pure until marriage and Mm. um, how to know if the new church you're going to is a good church to go to, things like that. Um, So, and then (laughs) five years ago, I decided I needed to get a divorce. And because of the way that I'd been raised, I believed I wasn't really allowed to be a Christian anymore if Can't I was going to get a divorce. Because good Christians just don't. Right. He wasn't beating me. He wasn't watching porn. He wasn't cheating on me. Right. So I didn't why have any you, reason to divorce him. Why would you do that? I made a vow before God. So the way that I was raised, I really basically felt like I, ha- I didn't get to keep asking God for help and solace and comfort and guidance. Since you were apostate. When I had basically just thrown his rules in the trash by getting a divorce. So I left, I stopped going to church. I stopped reading my Bible. I stopped praying. And some of that was refreshing as a person who'd been doing all of those things multiple times a day my whole life. I felt like I'd, I had plenty of church and Bible and prayer to last me for a couple of years. And then, uh, uh, I started making friends on Facebook with people who weren't evangelicals. And then what happened? Well, I started seeing different things on Facebook than the things I was always seeing. Ah. And I started realizing there are a lot of different perspectives in the world 
besides the perspective I was raised in. Hmm. Nowadays, if one were to put a judgment call on my Facebook timeline, one might call it schizophrenic (laughs) because I scroll past Me Too movement articles and articles about how Trump is a horrible person because he knocked down an ancient saguaro cactus to build the border wall. And then I also have articles on how these damn protesters are shooting federal agents with 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 bullets. They're like they're beating up our hardworking police force. Law enforcement. This is why yeah. the protesters are a problem. And like, how can we possibly expect our police force to deal with mobs like this when they're mm. defunded if they're already having a hard time with all the funds we've already given them? So, we can't right. defund the police. And then you have another Black Lives Matter post after that. Yeah. So one of a lot of my friends, a lot of my my uh, I, I want to talk about some things that my my quote unquote and for the sake of of ease of conversation. I'm just going to divide them into liberal and conservative. Okay. Just for convenience. Even though that's not really how it works. It's not the way it works. That's not only two teams in the world. I'm just going to model it this way to use it in a thought experiment. For the sake of convenience. Yes. Because <laughs> I've already spent 10 minutes leading up to it. All right. <laughs> so a lot of my liberal friends in this age of mask or no mask or die are wondering how are the people who are so anti-government telling me to wear a mask... So pro government telling women not to get abortions, isn't it? Isn't it my body, my choice? That seems like hypocrisy to people on the left. It does. And then on the other hand, I have all my conservative friends sharing stories from all the conservative black people in the U.S. Saying that we're not with Black Lives Matter. It's we would like sin. to not be seen as black people. It's, We'd like to be yeah. seen as Americans. It's a sin problem, not a skin problem. What? It's. People are just born broken and some people are more broken than others. And it's a shame that a lot of black people go to jail because they're kind of more naturally inclined. That's the, and it, they, they look at it as like, not a ha ha. Look at those no, people. They say it's sad. It's sad that certain ethnological groups, eth- I don't know if that's the right word, eth- ethnic, certain ethnic groups are just more generationally predisposed to crime. So and that was the zeitgeist that I was raised with that we were, uh, because we could we don't hate supposedly them. trust our genetics to Britain, mm-hmm. we were going to heaven and everybody else wasn't. And that was unfortunate for everybody else. There's no glee, in my experience, no glee that I was the only chosen one and everybody else was going to it's, hell. It's too bad. Right. Yeah, you can't really... But if you've never been in that world, you look at people who hold those mm-hmm. views as evil. Right. As if because you're thinking that they're thinking the way you're thinking, and if they were thinking the way you're thinking about the world, then they, they would be have hating. That, they wouldn't. Yeah. Right. Right. So a friend of ours recently uh, took a guy up on his offer to go out on a date, and the first date was great, and then the second date was uh, he let her know that he was. Uh, the text message we got was whew, dodged a bullet. He's totally transphobic. Okay. And I was like, what do you mean? That was a deal breaker for yeah. her in the relationship. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and she said, well, because he's a Christian and he thinks that being trans is wrong. And I was like, okay, transphobic implies that people are either hateful of trans people or, or afraid. afraid of trans right. people. And m- they don't think that they're being hateful or afraid. They think that God made people to be a particular way. And those poor folks aren't doing it. And they're confused or misled or deliberately rebellious of the way that humans are supposed to be. And it's too bad. Well, the devil and got them. I'm not yeah. going to support that kind of lifestyle because it's unhealthy and wrong. That, so That's like, 
That's a perspective. People on the liberal side call people on the conservative side transphobic because they don't, because they don't, they weren't raised being told that God made men and women to marry each other. They're working from a different paradigm. Yeah. You have a completely different it's perspective. It's a whole different model and of the if world. you don't right. know the conservative perspective, you just think they're being a-holes, you know? Um, right. And I don't think you're going to convince anybody with the arguments that you just made. <laughs> so one of my friends said... Because it is so different. Right. And that was the whole point of the cancel culture is that there's no... You're, uh, people who are in cancel... The people being canceled by cancel culture, whatever that is, they're coming from two different realities mm-hmm. and cannot understand the other perspective. Well, it's not that they will not, but it's well, almost like they cannot as long as they stay locked in a right, dogmatic perspective. Right, right. My, when I was an evangelical Christian, I could not understand LGBTQ rights campaigns. Not within that model. Because I knew that it was wrong to be gay. According to your worldview. My entire understanding of the entire universe and what is right. Right. And then you it had wasn't, a lot of, it wasn't like a, I was being a horrible person or hateful or deliberately not understanding. It was like, it's not that I'm, I don't understand you. I understand what you wish you could do, but I also understand that it's not right or healthy for you to do that. Right. You know, like that was my worldview and the same thing. And, on you, the, and you're backed up by your whole friends group, your Facebook group, my your entire family, your social church. group, my Everybody entire family yes. and supports that perspective. So there's mm-hmm. no real, not only is there no real reason to doubt it because of its ubiquity in your world, mm-hmm. but uh, there's also to entertain that is to... Entertain being cast out forever. Yes. And you don't know that there's so much more on the planet than... Right. Yeah. And then from the liberal, quote unquote, perspective, uh, if that's why I see so many of my liberal friends as I scroll through timeline and it's going back and forth between the, the LGBTQ community as pedophiles and why won't you just let people love each other uh, back and forth on my timeline. It's like the, my, my liberal friends, quote unquote, if we're dividing into two arbitrary teams, yeah. are, are just saying like, why do Christians, why are Christians so mad? Why won't they just let us get married? Like, why are they fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting legally and socially and, 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 and interpersonally to why, like, just, just let me live my life. You know, they're like, let me get married and have children and live my life. Why do you, why, why are do you get involved in my business? Why do you care? It's my business. Right. Except that the Christian worldview is that it is the Christian's business that God has told them to try to perpetuate truth and health on the planet. And their version of truth and health is lifetime monogamous heteronormativity within marriage. It doesn't include you. Well, it's not that I hate you or don't want you to be happy. It's that I want you to want what's good for you. Right. That's a, that's a lot to take for people who've never been in that world. Yeah. And it's just a lot easier to just be mad at Christians and think that they're all being that's the mean. Easy. That's it's the easy route. It's just easy to think Christians hate gays. Uh, frankly, that's the lazy route. And some and- Christians do hate gays. Just like some people do pull BS statistics off the internet and share it around and give other internet researchers a bad name. Right. So uh, one of my uh, conservative friends. Yeah. I shared a meme. I guess I shared a meme, right? Uh, So I shared a meme that was basically saying, why do we call... African-Americans, African-Americans, and Asian-Americans, Asian-Americans, 
and Mexican-Americans, Mexican-Americans. But we don't call all the white people Irish-Americans. European-Americans. Or Italian-Americans. Or (laughs) Israeli-Americans. You know, Israeli, I, I sort of figured that word out halfway through. Yeah, my friend used to call them Israelians. Israel, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and so in my perspective, I, I, try re- I try really hard to not, I try really hard to not share emotionally charged information. It's just going to, you'll have to then be fighting off all the, right. all the emotional reactions. Because so. my my viewership is split between half super conservative friends and half super liberal friends. Right. Right. So I try to share factual information, thought, non, non-confrontational thought exercises. Right. Uh, instead of emotionally charged F you to the other side sort of stuff. Partisan catnip. Yeah. Just outrage yeah. porn. Yeah. So I shared this like, um, why don't, if we're going to call African-Americans, African-Americans and Asian-Americans, Asian-Americans, then we should call white Americans, European Americans. Mm-hmm. You know, like how'd that go over? My friend said I was taught that and she like never responds to any of my stuff. I Uh know she sees them. Right. But so I was like, wow, this is one of the things it in my mind, having been a person who was a super conservative, Mm. you do choose your battles. If you feel like somebody on the outside of this Christian stuff is so far out there that they're not going to be able to listen to you, you, d- you don't fight that battle. Pearls you know? before swine. Why throw them out there? Yeah. Right. So, but if you find something that you feel like is close enough to the beliefs that you know how to defend or so objectively wrong that it should be easy to defend, then, right. then you engage in a conversation. Right. So that was my experience as, a, as an apologist. Mm. So she said, I was taught that terms like African-American was what the black community preferred. This person is in her mid-50s that it was polite to call them African-Americans instead of black. Mm. I was taught that I should be colorblind. Prominent figures in the black community said these things when I was growing up. Right. So if this generation has changed the acceptable terms, they might at least want to be careful about casting blame at the previous generation because we're using the terms that were considered right, respectful, or politically correct for our time. Mm. I think that's a really good case. Sure. I think there's a lot of rage in the youth who just assume because they have learned something, everybody ought to know it by now. I had the same thing when I was youth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that just a youth thing? I think kind of. <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's an evolutionary thing. Mm. I think as you get older, you get more calcified and more dogmatic mm. and more orthodox. Mm-hmm. The kids come through and they figure out where some stuff needs to be broken down. And then they, you know, we don't have... A lot of um, generational... Teachability. Uh, we don't have a lot of uh, generational communication. Mm-mm. Like everybody that You're I see in politics... You're younger than me. I've politics, worked harder. I know more than you. I can't be schooled by you. Everybody in politics... Sorry, baby. It's all right. Everybody in <laughs> politics says the millennials. Right. When they're not even talking about the... There's another generation that's come in. Yeah. And nobody talks about the Zs. And right. I, when I say nobody, millennial is everybody younger than boomer, it seems. Yeah. From the it's boomer been, generation. It's been distilled down into a f- quote-unquote fight between boomers and millennials. Even though the Gen X is there and the Gen Z is there. And the there, greatest generation the, is there. Right, right. Like, it's just the world is divided between these two, these generations that have like some sort of beef. Yeah, there are like eight living generations in the U.S. right now. <laughs> but it's just millennials and boomers now. Yeah. Old people and young people. Right, right. So, so like, sorry guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy. It's not easy. So I, I wanted, I was like, who were the prominent black figures when you were growing up? You know, trying to de-escalate and also... Bill Cosby. <laughs> um, 
And then I said, I don't think that this meme is casting blame. It's a thought provoking exercise. Since America has 23 countries in it, we should just all be called U.S. citizens, not African-Americans or Asian-Americans or Native Americans. Or if you're a citizen, you're a citizen. Right. Okay. Uh, and then people of other countries would be like, you're an Ecuadorian or whatever you say. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, like that was kind of my thinking. And she said, America has the unique feature of being a cultural melting pot. I know that phrase is also no longer popular. But what it has historically meant is that America was a place to which people of all nations, races, and creeds could come to be free and to pursue happiness. It's not a heritage I'm willing to toss out because some angry people have a different political agenda. And I disagree about... Some angry people. mm -hmm. Uh uh Most of the memes being posted these days are divisive and disrespectful. They are not conducive to peaceful reconciliation or problem solving. I wonder if that's even their goal. And that brings me to want to talk about the timeline. Right. And I can go, I, like, I can read that. That looks, that makes total sense to me, but maybe for different reasons that it makes sense to her. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. About the divisiveness. Yeah, I, I think outrage about porn the, doesn't the, do anybody the any tribal, good. About the tribalism of all this stuff where you just share the memes that agree with your already closely held belief. The things that you already know. You tend you, to go find information that matches things you already know. Right. Mm-hmm. So my conservative friends sharing articles about how these darn protesters are beating up police officers and federal agents. Yeah. So this is kind of like thinking thinking that race problems in the U.S. started with black people committing crimes. Right. Right. So like here's the like the like the like a lot of people think that they think. Uh, we have a lot of black people in prison because a lot of black people commit crime and they think that's the starting point. Right. Uh, watch the 13th. If you haven't seen the 13th, it's available out there in the world. Also uh, understand our current drug policy and where it came from. Mm-hmm. And it gets rid of some of that, that premise, but a lot of people haven't done that homework. No. Um, so I made a deal with this friend of mine cause she suggested that I watch the uncle Tom documentary. Okay. She feels like a lot of conservative black people have been suppressed and mm. are being shut down because you either have to be, uh, all white people are racist or nothing. Right. And, uh, and she said, she said, I'm certain there has been a lot of wrong done against minorities in the U S and continues to be racial injustice. I'm saying that the methods of hate and violence currently being employed by protesters are not the way to solve the problem. In fact, I worry that all the noise is actually just going to hurt the cause of racial justice in the long run. I believe the black community is once again being used for political leverage and it may likely be dropped once the election is over. You can look at all the peaks and valleys on Google for any time the black lives matter movement comes up. Mm. And I think that's a very interesting statistic to point out it's would usually it, around the democrats bringing it up to win an election that they yep. throw them out of the car when it's done mm-hmm. yeah. would it surprise you to know that conservative black people feel marginalized even by their own community as though there is only one way for a black person to see these issues have you watched the documentary uncle tom and so i said i'll watch the documentary uncle tom if you watch the 13th documentary and then we can get on a zoom call and see each other's faces yeah. and not have to use so many emojis to keep each other from thinking the other person is mad okay <laughs> um so i think that's a, uh, an interesting exercise because i don't want to only hear information that matches what i have already heard bias, right so here's the timeline uh protesters are beating up federal cops and state police and local police they just become untenable. That some people are like, see, it's horrible. Right. Th- protesters are doing that because 
federal police and uh, federal agents and police showed up and started beating the protesters. Protesters are causing, are reacting with violence because violence was enacted against them first. Why did the federal people show up and the police and ever? Because protesters started behaving abnormally. Mm. Federal agents and police are supposed to show up when someone is behaving abnormally and could cause harm. It's their job, right? Right. So uh, protesters, rioters, looters, et cetera, uh, started... Their job is to maintain order. Maintain order. So they started behaving abnormally. And for some people, that's step one, is just suddenly everywhere around the country, people are losing their minds. They're just going crazy. They're burning buildings. They're... I I don't get it. Why would they be so hateful and angry, right? And some people think that's step one, right? That's... Okay. What what has there's another step before that, right? So right. protesters are beating why up. Why did they show up? Why, why did the, did the protesters, protesters start acting abnormally? Right. The civilians start be doing these abnormal. Why why are they disorderly? Why are they being disorderly? Yeah. Causing the federal people to show up and then they enact violence and then the protesters respond with violence, right? So those people acted begin these citizens rose up and started acting abnormally and disorderly. Because there are a lot of structurally race rate there there because black people are being mistreated, right? Mm-hmm. And then the conservative voice comes in again and says, "Well, black people are being mistreated in the po- the prison systems, and when they get pulled over, and when they're walking home at night, because." Black people proportionately behave worse than white people, and so cops are naturally on guard. So that's this conservative perspective, and according that's to the, the story they know. Yeah. yeah, that's the starting point for them. Mm-hmm. And what we, what you could know if you wanted to do the research, is that, uh, is that there are more black people in prison in the U.S. because of generational, structurally racist problems in the U.S. system. Such, black black such, people were basically criminalized. They were slaves, yeah. and then they were, quote-unquote, freed, and immediately the 13th Amendment was enacted, which enabled anybody who was in prison to be used for slave labor. Mm-hmm. So what happened was is the original police force was formed to round up uh, sla- escaped slaves, escaped slaves yeah. and put them in prison and that's round the police, up anybody That's the origin who, of the police in this country. So a yeah. bunch of slaves were freed, and guess what? They're homeless now. So anybody can be rounded up and put in prison for being homeless. Mm. So they basically, within the span of a couple of years, took the entire slave population, a large part of the slave population of the U.S., and turned them into the prison population of the U.S., and went right back to using them for slave labor, because according to the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, you can use people in prison for slave labor, which means they get next to nothing or nothing for their labor. Major corporations across the country use free labor of people in prison. And you might say, well, they should be in prison. But what we're talking, what are the things that put people in prison? Homelessness. Poverty. Poverty. Yeah. You go to prison because you can't pay a parking ticket. Yeah. You go to prison because you you go to jail for that. You don't have money for your house. Yeah. You go to prison because you were smoking marijuana. Yeah. And in the in the last century, the government decided that what you do with your body should be called a crime, even though it isn't causing anyone any harm. Mm -hmm. So that's the timeline. Well, they shouldn't just they shouldn't they just shouldn't break the rules. Don't do bad things and even we decide what's bad. Even if the rules bad. are untenable. So and skewed. You could know all those things. Could. We packaged up a bunch of people from I should say the European colonizers of the 
early U.S. packaged up a bunch of people from the African continent and brought them to the U.S. to be slaves. Mm -hmm. And then Abraham Lincoln, quote unquote, freed the slaves. And then the early police force was formed to scoop up as many of those freed slaves as possible. Escaped slaves. Escaped slaves and freed slaves because you could be put in jail for being homeless back then. Crossing right. the wrong line into the wrong county too. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, right. you're not free in this county. Now you were free in the other county. But so the so the the early police force was formed to catch slaves. The prison industrial complex was filled up with people who the government pays to hold. The government pays the prison to hold people there, and they have to meet certain quotas of how many people they have in prison, or they don't get the right amount of money from the government that they want. And then uh, after World War II. The government promised houses to the veterans, Hmm. except that there was insane amounts of discrimination against minority veterans coming home. So what you started there was this massive generational generational wealth and generational poverty. Hmm. Daddy couldn't get a house. He couldn't get married as early in life, or maybe he did get married, but they moved from rental to rental to rental and were partially homeless. And then you have that in your history, this generational poverty, rather than having a house, Raising just, a just family, from, right? having security, and then you pass that that security, that wealth security along to your children. Then we come to the drug war of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, where... Um, and 90s and 2000s and, and forever, 2020. What you do with your body has been criminalized. What you do with your body has been criminalized. It should be a crime if you drink alcohol and speed and hit somebody. That right. should be a crime because right. you caused harm. It's not a crime for you to drink alcohol, however. Right. But it is a crime for you to smoke marijuana federally. And eat Taco Bell. It's not a crime for you to smoke nicotine. It is a crime for you to... um, Yeah. So anyway, they criminalize what you do with your body. Like if if you go out and you do theoretically, logically by the base code of the universe of this crime is doing harm concept, right? So you go to your house and you drink alcohol, right? That's not a crime. Mm-hmm. But if you drink alcohol and you go beat somebody up, that is a crime. It should be that way with anything you put right. in your body. If you smoke too much pot and try to give somebody a hug, <laughs> it has to be consensual. Right. It's a crime. Right. <laughs> Okay, so that's the drug war. So that put a bunch of people in prison for no reason. They weren't causing harm. And then harm. we had private prisons. Right. So the private prison industrial complex, people are making money off of, off of people being in prison. Yes. And also making money because they get to use those people for free slave labor according to the 13th Amendment. Who's that? Who's the billionaire, Bloomberg? Bloomberg was using prison labor to do his call, his election calls. Oh, my gosh. He literally had slave labor campaigning for him paid them to campaign for him and it was prison prison guys in prison on the phone saying you should vote for this billionaire getting like two dollars an hour or something who knows what they were getting paid yeah Yeah. um then we come to jimmy carter's mental health Mm. and i was speaking about this with my brother earlier and he said well but i thought reagan emptied out the mental health institutions because they were abusing people Mm. yeah and whether that was the case or not suddenly we have thousands and thousands of U.S. citizens on the streets with no money to get their medication and no support when they are having breakdowns, and then they start getting taken to prison. Reagan was cutting government fat, not, not spending money on unproductive people in the society, which were people who were having mental health issues. 
which is unfortunately a very so Protestant work ethic. There was no mindset. help for those folks, and so they became society's problem. Right. They became more homeless. They became more criminal. They and became the, criminalized. Yeah, because it's a crime to be houseless. Yes. It is a crime to be houseless in parts of the U.S., vast parts of the U.S. So then you need more cops. Right. And you, you more, need more suddenly, prisons. Suddenly you have more crime. Suddenly you have more crime when it's a crime to put substances into your body, even if you're in your own house. It's a crime to be houseless. It's a crime to uh, have a mental health breakdown in public. Uh, you know, like uh, suddenly there's like a lot of cops and a lot of prisons. And then. Thank goodness we saved all that money on health care and, and mental health. Whew. So that brings us up to what a lot of people think is the starting point, which is that minorities just commit more crime. Yeah, they haven't looked past that, I guess. Yeah. But they could. You could know. Education is not just for college kids. You could understand the situation if you wanted. The internet is available to everybody in vast and variable forms. I have to agree with your conservative friend in that the tone of stating so when you're coming from a partisan perspective or you're coming from a trauma perspective mm. where you're fighting for your rights, um, there's the potential to lose a lot of allies because if they don't know the story and all they see is the fight, there's a gap in understanding that's not going to be bridged because right. they're going to see that as violence. Why is aggressive. everybody being so angry and hateful? Right. So the reason I am no longer a white supremacist Judeo-Christian cult member is not because people told me I was an idiot for doing that. Or yelled at you for being so hateful. Or yelled at me for being so hateful. They said, why do you think like that? Mm -hmm. And this is, this is the problem with identity politics and this team thing. Because if somebody who's on the, the your quote-unquote not your team says something that you uh, agree with, you have to almost not like it. So like I this, can listen right. to my... Uh, you know, hyper evangelical friend talking about how I don't think all the anger and violence is going to solve the problem. And I can say, yes. And yes. And there's a reason they're angry and they may solve the problem that way. Yeah. Because they may be so because of so, revolutions, <laughs> there may be so much problem that mm -hmm. the, the, the systemic situation will have to be addressed. Right. If to they some degree, if they keep the problem going long enough Systemic problems will begin to be addressed. That's how we do things as humans, generally speaking, throughout yeah. history. Yeah, I. It's squeaky wheel gets the grease, and they're being a squeaky wheel. Gets wheel. The it's five thirty-eight. We've talked about cancel culture. We've talked about our coronavirus update and the concept of what our virus is actually doing in the ecosystem of the planet and the microbiome of your body. Mm. We've talked about a bit of a Black Lives Matter update. Oh, I wanted to read that, uh, what those black conservatives said. Yeah, do that whole piece. The sisters. Um, I'm really, really curious about that. So I have to pull that up. This is another window. So when I... When These are our neighbors. Ainsley and I were raised in cult-like behaviors, and we educated ourselves and got out, but we wouldn't have been able to do it without the compassion of people who were on the other side of where we were, being compassionate towards us. Mm -hmm. uh, we wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise if they had canceled us for having that perspective because that's what our parents gave us or that's what we were raised in. We, it's very easy to steel yourself against that kind of opposition and not try to understand the divide Well, anytime, perpetuate the divide. Anytime someone attacks your beliefs, it feels as though they are attacking you and you, you must defend yourself. Right. 
You are never going to feel safe to evaluate your own beliefs and what you actually think about them and whether they're actually healthy for you if you are being attacked. Right. I'm sorry, guys. We need a little bit of everything in the soup. So the perspective is we have hyper racism in this country. I don't doubt we have. It's not... It's, argu- it's, it's not arguable that we don't have systemic racism. You can point to it. You can show it. You could know it, about it if you wanted know to. know about it. That's a real thing. Systemic racism is a thing that, that we're grappling the with. The 13th documentary on Netflix is a really it easy really launch point. Super easy, super easy launch point. Right. Um, the degree of the racism and canceling people who are ignorant of the issue mm-hmm. does not help them learn the issue. Or canceling people who think it's a sin issue, not a skin issue, also doesn't help the issue. So what's happening with the Black Lives Matter, for people who are not dealing with black people, Mm -hmm. they're not living in environments where they see the racism, where they have friends that can tell them about their experience, are suddenly saying, we're not racist, why is everybody calling us a racist? Mm -hmm. And so some of those enclaves where there's there's different relationships, It's, it's not just black and white people. And what you found here is a couple of mm-hmm. black ladies. Black sisters. Who said, we don't like the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And why? And you can read that letter. And on that post, there are some comments from some of our listeners, actually, oh, on, on that post that you can read after you read the piece. Okay. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's, this is important. We've only got 15 minutes. These are our neighbors. Yeah. These people are inhabiting and shaping the planet just as we are inhabiting and shaping the planet. And they're not a stereotype. No. I think uh, my perspective so far on the the uprising of the black conservative is that, yeah, not just as not every white person has a very privileged experience because of poverty, not every black person has a racially suppressed experience because maybe they did get, their grandpa did get a house after World War II and they haven't been struggling with poverty for three generations and their dad wasn't in prison their whole childhood. Right. And they have a lot of white friends and they're sort of middle class, you know? Like, I think we need to look at the demographics of all of these black conservatives and Mm. see what their experience has been in the U.S. That's important. That's important. So these two sisters said what happened was they painted over a black lives matter mural okay these black ladies these black ladies went and painted over a black lives matter mural and then what and then they made this post and they made this comment they accuse us of hating ourselves for painting over the black lives matter quote-unquote mural stupidest thing i've ever heard we could never hate something as beautiful as ourselves we are a wonderful creation from god me and my sister are too beautiful for self-hate So miss us with that, which I think is like maybe the black version of die angry. Oh, right. (laughs) Um, We are Christians and that is our only identity and we hate sin. Black Lives Matter pushes an agenda that is against God and is total sin. Children out of wedlock and fatherlessness, sin. Abortion, oh, you're you're sinning if you don't have a father? Oh. Okay. All right. We're just going to read it. We're going to read it. Abortion, sin. Feminist and Jezebel agenda, sin. Racism, sin. And an LGBTQ lifestyle, sin. All of these things were not designed to liberate us, but designed to bind us to the devil. I will not sit idly by and watch the devil take our country and use black hardships to do so. Black Lives Matter goes totally against everything that black Americans actually stand for. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. Believe it or not, once upon a time, we were Christians. She's speaking of all black Americans or maybe all Americans. 
Americans. Also, believe yeah, it or not, yeah. once upon a time we were. That is that is. I have to segue. That <laughs> is the Christian perspective. Is that uh, the U.S. started as a Christian nation, right? And all the founding fathers were Christian. That's the yeah. That we used to be more Christian than we are now, and it's a problem. So back to their letter. Okay. Uh, Believe it or not, once upon a time we were Christians and we believed in the Lord with everything we had. Black Lives Matter is against the man, against the black man because it is against the nuclear family. Black Lives Matter supports black genocide because it supports pro-choice and therefore supports the murder of black babies. Mm. That is the number one killer of the black American community. Black Lives Matter does not support reproduction because it pushes, pushes the LGBTQ agenda. And Black Lives Matter supports white supremacy because it only addresses when a white man kills a black man. It never addresses black on black crime or black genocide if you as a black person actually support black lives matter then the truth is you really hate yourself mm. mic drop so that's the two black ladies saying all this mm-hmm. and then if you go into their comments it's just rousing support from their friends group bubble and also a bunch of dime ads dime ads yeah, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of people on there who are just canceling them. They're not actively engaging not what's engaging, being said. Right, they're just not, saying right. you're wrong, and obviously you're angry, and so die mad. Okay, which is um, I guess it's a modern phrase. Die mad is a modern phrase sure. of like I don't have to do anything with you because you're wrong. Right. Just keep right. being mad. It's only it's you're only harming worth, you. You're not even worth me you're, arguing yeah. with. Your anger isn't isn't doing right. anything to me. Okay. You know. So that's a highly polarized comment thread. There are so many things in here that we could address. Mm-hmm. Oh, so many things that could be addressed. Sure. To me, this is this isn't isn't so much two uh, two black sisters speaking out, and I'm not saying sisters as in like I'm assuming I'm allowed to call African American ladies sisters. I mean they are literally sisters of each okay. other. Um, to me, it's it's a couple of conservative Christians. Because that makes more sense. Like all the things that they're saying the Black Lives Matter movement is doing wrong are because of their conservative Christian beliefs. It's very much all Christian belief. It, it, that's, yeah. that's a Christian experience. And yeah. if you actually look at the statistics and the um, demographics and the context of the high black abortion rate, it's, it's not... It's not this weird predatory on black people thing, and it's not black people are sinning more by aborting their babies. It's a poverty problem. If you looked at causation instead of correlation, we have a poverty problem. We have a lack of sexual education and a lack of access to the proper medical care to prevent pregnancy. Uh, Lydia says, I don't have the impression that theory accurately describes Bevelyn and Edme. Those are the two sisters, I guess. Don't you think it would be more productive to invite them for an interview on your podcast rather than guess on something that remains that that guess guess on something their reasons and background guess there she edited it on my oh, version okay um i don't have the impression that that theory accurately describes bevelin and edme so lydia is saying that she doesn't feel like my theory that these two black ladies aren't having a typical black experience my theory is I don't think the few conservative voices such as Candace Owens who have popped out are having a typical black experience. Well, Eric Nallen addresses that. Oh, he does? In a comment. He says, uh, I have no idea what truly motivates Candace Owens, but for a young woman who experienced racism and a substantial uh, legal settlement after, she seems to uh, have abandoned any campaigns or, or any semblance of what she once fought against. Her misinformation campaigns are far too uh, glitzy and well-produced 
do not have substantial funding behind them. As such, it's not a stretch to conclude she is well compensated for her public statements. Excuse me, very well planned and scripted public statements. Mm. She works for Turning Point USA like many other young actors follow the money. Yeah, I think following, so she following did have, the money is she really did important. She did have a, she was treated, she was treated with racism mm-hmm. and then won a lawsuit. Yeah, and then continued to earn money. Yeah. In various ways. She, no, if you look at her, if you look at like like people who love Biden, I'm like, you, you need to look at his record. Yeah. <laughs> like if you actually look at what she has done, what Candace Owens has done and her experience of life and who she's married to and who her parents are and where she works and all the people she's taking money from, she flip flops all over the place. Yeah. She does not have a consistent or reliable worldview to me. Uh. Um, so as far as what Lydia said, I would love to have Bevelin and Ed me on the sure. show. Oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Maybe we should ask him. Yeah, I will. I just happened to find this today okay. while I was doing research for the show, so I didn't right. have t- a chance to invite them ahead of time. But I would, I'll definitely reach out. I'm happy to make that commitment Great. and see if they're interested in talking on the show at some point. Or even if we can just do a back and forth email and address some points that yeah. whatever whatever's easier. Mm-hmm. Totally. For everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Um, Lydia also said that she feels like Dr. Bush is amazing. She loves his work. This mm. is the virologist right. or the endocrinologist. Right. Love his work and his recently rebranded product was a huge game changer for me many years ago while struggling with an inflammatory condition. Mm. That's mm. another thing we don't talk about enough in our healthcare system is, mm. is the role of inflammation. You can have one kind of inflammation and have so many other problems just because of that one unaddressed inflammation. Like if you're allergic to almonds, you will have so many other problems and you'll be trying to treat all those other problems when really if you just eliminated almonds, you would lessen your immune system inflammation entirely and enable your body to handle all those other situations with ease. We've got five minutes left. What a show. I wonder why Lydia doesn't think... And and like there there's no way for us to really know if Bevelin and Edme had a typical black experience in the U.S. without going through their lives and saying, uh, did, were, were you ever racially discriminated against? Were you able to get a job and go to the college that you wanted to? Was your dad home while you were growing right. up? Like, <laughs> I think we could make a chart for uh, how structurally racially oppressed someone is. We could make a quiz. If these various things happened to you, you were probably, you probably suffered from the systemic racial problems in the U.S., but if you did not suffer from any of these problems, then you're not having a typical minority experience in the U.S. My friend Justin Young, who yes. grew up in Hawaii, mm. he has a Black Lives Matter icon on his Facebook. He's commenting on this post, these two ladies. Bevelin and Edme. Yeah. He said, I've grown up in the only state in the union with a minority majority. So Hawaiians are considered minorities. Right, because anybody not white is a minority. Right, right. Um, oh, that's fascinating. Right. The pressure to, con- to conform to an idea of what it means to be a good person is still very much rooted in the Western Eurocentric ideas of Christianity. Because of missionaries in the 1800s. The Christian golden rule of do unto others still assumes that one's personal preference is the default for everyone else with whom that person interacts and removes empathy from the equation. 
Right, because God, it's not your preference, it's God's rules. So he says, quote, I've never experienced racism, therefore I will treat you as if you've never experienced racism, <laughs> because that's how I would want to be treated. It's the same thing that wearing masks in public. I, I wouldn't want to wear a mask in public, therefore I will look down my nose of those who do as being afraid. Mm. There must be something wrong with them because my opinion is different than theirs. Right. Shorts and shoes are required at most reputable establishments, but not pants. Haven't yet heard the argument against the tyranny of the shirt-shoe requirement. (laughs) Nor seen many people going around without pants. One has the right to... Off. Uh, One has the word to F off. (laughs) One has the right to F off to other businesses that take COVID less seriously. However, businesses that businesses have the absolute right to limit their liability, especially if it's to ensure the safety of the staff and other guests, individuals do not get to be mad about this. It all has to do with lack of empathy, the inability to understand that others may have had different experiences and risk tolerances. Mm. One is not owed service, just as we are not owed an existence. Ultimately, the universe and capitalism... Don't care if we live or die. Only other people and some animals... The universe and capitalism. Right. (laughs) Only other people and some animals care if some people die. Mm. So we might as well just try to make this existence as nice for everyone as we can, right? And then he follows that up with, also, supporting Black Lives Matter doesn't mean that we support black-on-black crime. What kind of twisted logic is that? Cops also kill white people. Yeah. Okay, so that's a problem. Oh, this is a complicated issue. It's complicated. It's not easy. How else can I say that? It's not easy. We don't just get to divide things into teams. And if you are, you're limiting your own experience of the universe. Mm-hmm. You're limiting your ability to interact with other with your neighbors. We have another show coming in. Dan and Patty in the Sunday Smackdown. And they will be in the station today, folks. So hold on to your britches because that's a really hilarious and uh, interesting talk show following our talk show. I would like to thank everybody who participated in the show with their comments. Also, wanted to remind everybody we do have the Post-Orthodoxy Facebook page where we will, from now on, be posting in advance links to sources, sources. of information mm-hmm. that we are gathering from. Not we, all sources do we agree with. We really appreciate uh, the listener feedback we've had this week. Who's our intended audience? Why would people listen to us talk for two hours? And where are your sources? And yeah. we're going to take that stuff to heart. So thanks for supporting this show, Mm -hmm. and we'll see you next week. You have the thing. Oh, I got to do the thing. Yeah, you have the power of the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we appreciate all the comments. Thank you so much to our listeners on beautamericaradio.org slash stream. Thank you so much to our Facebook and Twitch viewers this afternoon. And uh, nobody really commented today, but we did get some comments on other posts. Yeah. And feedback just always makes things way more fun for everybody. Yeah, thanks for playing, folks. You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com post-Orthodoxy. Post-Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. 
find other quality radio shows by the 70-plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at butteamericaradio.org slash shows. Or you can stream live 24-7 from anywhere on the planet at butteamericaradio.org slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. <laughs> What's outside your reality bubble?